Well, this is different, but we are so glad that nonetheless you're spending some of your Christmas Eve with us, taking a moment to fix your eyes on Jesus with us. We're so glad. You know, around here, Christmas Eve service really is one of our favorites, right? We, we usually crowd piles of kids on stage for a Christmas story. We hand out candles and we sing carols by candlelight. One of my personal favorite moments of the Christmas Eve service is getting to take a candle and going to the Christ candle, that fifth candle, and lighting it and then passing the light in the sanctuary to someone in the front corner who passes it across the whole sanctuary. The all light just travels. You know, a couple Dutch people get out their lighters near the back and just, it's, so it turns out to be a little sporadic, but it's a beautiful sight and uh, we love it. But of course, this, this Christmas Eve service is different. And this Christmas Eve service is different because Christmas this year is different. And this Christmas is different because, well, this year has been different. And I don't know if you've had the pleasure of seeing some of the memes about 2020. If you haven't, I just, I just want to help you uh, distill this year into just a few memes here that I think explain some of the things we've been going through. Here's the first one. It's for all you fans of The Office. Here's Kevin with a pot of chili. 2020 is like the spilt pot of chili. Dr. Evil uh, realizes the things are kind of settling down at one point in 2020, and that's when he declares, release the murder hornets. Remember those? Remember that blip on the radar in 2020? Then there's the OxyClean infomercial guy declaring every moment of 2020, but wait, there's more. In future decades, they will introduce a documentary on the nightmare that was 2020. And then uh, this one pays homage to uh, the Princess Bride. When we wake up every morning in 2020, we have asked ourselves, where were we? Oh yes, in the pit of despair. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of truth to those, isn't there? It's been a challenge. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know here, but, but simply the flipping of the calendar year to 2021 isn't going to alleviate all of our problems and all of the world's problems, is it? Well, the natural question then is, well, well then what will? What will? What can bring solutions to the world's problems and to our own problems, to mine? We're going to look at a couple verses found in Isaiah. Isaiah is a book pretty much in the middle of your Bible. If you open up the Bible, pretty much the middle, you will land in Isaiah. We're going to look at the last verse of chapter 8 and the second verse of chapter 9 together for a few minutes. Let me just summarize what's going on. There's a king at the time in Judah and his name is Ahaz. And he's freaking out because there are a couple of nations about ready to attack and so he's worried, but God in his mercy sends a prophet named Isaiah to comfort him and says that God will help him. And, and God even declares through Isaiah that he will show him a sign that he's with Ahaz. And that sign we discover in Isaiah chapter seven is the birth of a baby. And that baby was to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. But despite all that, Ahaz still freaks out and he goes and he makes an alliance with Assyria. Assyria end up turning on them. And then the people of Jerusalem end up turning to idolatry. And it's just a big mess. You know, 
God, when he was speaking through Isaiah 700 years earlier, was actually speaking of Jesus coming. We all Advent here at Central look through these titles given to this child of ultimate significance in Jesus that would come 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy who would be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. But it's in this context of, of not trusting God and feeling hopeless and scared, recognizing that the world is dark, that we pick up what the prophet says about the people in verse 22. It says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's a really interesting phrase that's stated there. They will look to the earth, it says. In other words, they are looking toward the earth and to human resources to fix the world. Things are dark, but we believe we can end that darkness with intellect and innovation. In that regard, nothing's really changed in 2,700 years, right? This prophecy was 700 years before Jesus came. We're living 2,000 years since Jesus came at Christmas. In this regard, nothing's changed. This idea of looking to the earth to solve our problems. Brad Watson wrote about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding in 2018. He wrote, the event was marked by the usual fanfare of such weddings, notable people, international media, commentary, vows, a sermon, love, and big British hats. There were a few notable unique things that happened. Meghan walked herself two-thirds of the way down the aisle until her future father-in-law, Prince Charles, walked with her the last third, but by no means gave her away. Additionally, Meghan was the first mixed-race person to marry into the royal family of England, being half black and half white. She also wasn't of nobility. She had been divorced, was an actress, and an American. And even though Harry is quite far from the throne and all of those previously mentioned factors, this wedding became the most watched royal wedding in history. More people watched this wedding than William and Kate's and more than his father's wedding to Diana. Most ordinarily, however, it was a wedding. The morning after, though, a journalist for an international news magazine wrote an article with the headline, This wedding changes everything. The journalist went on to note everything I just mentioned and expound on how the ceremony was transforming international politics, racism, sexism, and even religious strife all in one swoop. Implied is this. Elections, education, fame, power, laws, military, Hollywood, or even weddings can heal our broken world. However, notably, the other headlines from that day were about the President of the United States being subpoenaed, a shooting at a school in Texas, and the falling apart of nuclear talks with North Korea. And yet, a wedding in Windsor had changed the world. It's understandable to hope in that sort of transformation, that variety of world peace. It's a lovely 
sentiment, the love and union of two highly famous people could change the world. Plus, they are two highly educated and talented people in which our post-enlightenment viewpoint leads to, to the greatest types of change. In our post-enlightenment viewpoint, that's how we see it. Education, talent, and reason are the beginnings of world change. Add to all these factors, ethnic and historical backgrounds, TV ratings, and the hats. And it's not hard to exclaim, this changes everything. Even though we all know it doesn't. The world doesn't work that way. World peace doesn't arrive that way. Fame, education, talent, power, and personality don't solve the world's deepest problems of injustice, evil, and war. In fact, we instinctively know this wedding likely won't change a human heart outside of the two central figures who exchanged vows that day. Here lies the problem, though. If all the talent, power, fame, and beauty in the world can't defeat the anxiety, depression, anger, and angst, and brokenness within our own hearts, how could it possibly change the world? So, begs the question, doesn't it? What can bring light to our hearts? What can bring light to our world? The answer is a baby. Christmas. Now, in one sense, nothing's changed, right? In an Isaiah 8 kind of way, looking to our own resources to fix the world. In one sense, nothing has changed in 2,700 years. But in another sense, in Isaiah 9 sense, everything has changed. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, you know when you, you stay somewhere unfamiliar to yourself, you're either staying at a hotel or you've gone camping or you're staying at a friend's place or something and you get up in the night to go to the washroom and it's pitch black, it's dark. And, and you're not familiar with, with the layout and so you're kind of inching your way to where you think the bathroom is, just hoping you don't smoke your shin on a coffee table or something, right? And then finally you, you find a flashlight or a lamp or you turn on the bathroom light and then Right then, illuminated everything in front of you and you see how things are set up and how things truly are. You know, that's what Jesus did at Christmas. A light dawned. Jesus brought light into our dark world of sin and death. That's what Jesus did at Christmas, right? The function of light is to help us see more clearly and when the light has dawned, we start to see ourselves rightly and our world rightly and Jesus rightly. Notice in this verse, it doesn't say from the world itself, light has appeared. What it says is upon the world, a light has dawned. Here's what that means for us. We needed someone outside of our darkness to bring light to save us. The emphasis on light and darkness comes from the Christian belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it. We know that intellect and innovation aren't enough. We need Jesus 
We need Christmas. Jesus comes as the light because we're too spiritually blind to find our own way. And that's the truth of the matter. We needed Jesus to enter into our dark world and shine his light upon us. It's interesting. It doesn't say in the Bible that Jesus just brought some light or pointed us to the light. In John chapter eight, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, if you've been tracking with me so far, you're starting to see what Isaiah nine means and the light is dawn and what that's meant to bring. But I think you're probably still left with the question, okay, then why is there still so much darkness then? Like it sounded pretty dark in King Ahaz's day and 2020 has been pretty dark. Like what difference did it make that Jesus came? Well, we've just come through Advent. Advent means arrival. And we've been anticipating the arrival of Jesus in the incarnation that Jesus came at Christmas. That Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. We've been celebrating that. And the first advent Jesus brought when he came, relief from sin. His first mission was to deal with our sins. But but from where we stand as Christians, we're actually in a place where we reflect on on the first advent, his, his, his arrival, and the second advent that is to come when he returns in glorious light and brings relief from our suffering. See, when Jesus comes again, he will restore justice and peace on earth. In other words, when Jesus came the first time, it was to address our sin problem. And when he comes again, he will end all suffering once and for all. You know, we're like King Ahaz, looking for relief and help in this present moment. And God offers that. He offered it to Ahaz and he offers it to us. Right? We, we're sick or someone we love is sick and, and we, we cry out to God for relief. And God helps and God cares. But we have these kind of ultimate needs that require eternal solutions. And it's ultimately why Jesus came, right? So when we want healing from our health problems, God cares and God can help. But God's ultimate purpose in sending Jesus is to deliver us from the curse of death that causes disease. We cry out for help with our broken relationships, And God cares and can be our present help. But God's ultimate purpose in sending Jesus is to deliver us from the sin and selfishness that cause broken relationships. Right? When we are in difficult present circumstances like Ahaz was, God's ultimate purpose, he meets us there, but his ultimate purpose is sending Jesus to end all war and strife. Look, Jesus came the first time to deal with our sins. Isaiah 9-2 says that a light has dawned. He's shown us reality and truth. And we recognize that he will come again in glorious light. And when he does, upon that advent, he will set everything right. I'm going to ask the guys to kill the lights here for a second. See, in the midst of our darkness, Jesus came and gave us hope. 
And when you have hope in Jesus, you need not feel hopeless ever again. If your hope is in Jesus, you have the assurance of hope. And Jesus came, and when he came, he brought those who put their trust in him peace. It says in the New Testament that in Jesus, we have a peace that surpasses understanding. A peace in the midst of anything. And of course, in Jesus, we get joy. A joy that's not in fleeting things, but a joy secure in Christ that no matter what happens, we have joy because it's this deeply formed joy dependent on the promises of God that do not waver. And when Jesus came at Christmas, it revealed to us love, true love, love like the world has never seen before. Jesus loved us enough to come to us at Christmas. Jesus loved us enough to live a spotless life and then die on a cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. Never seen love like that. But in Jesus, we get it. And finally, the fifth and final Advent candle is the Christ candle, and it's the candle of light. As I just said, Jesus is the light of the world. And at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that in the midst of our darkness, a light has dawned. I just want to close this time with just a couple brief, simple applications for us, okay? The first one is this. I want to invite you to embrace Jesus, the light of the world. If you've never done that before, nothing would give us more joy this Christmas than to get to celebrate you giving your life to Jesus. I don't know what kind of darkness you're, you're wading through right now. We all know it's been a hard year. But, but what are you going to do with the darkness in your life, the darkness in your heart, the darkness in your circumstances? I want to invite you to embrace the light of the world who gives you hope and peace and joy and love and light. He is the answer. He is the one we look to and he came to us to save us. I invite you to put your trust in Jesus, to confess your sins, to repent of them, to turn to Jesus in faith this Christmas. Here's the second invitation I want to give to you. This is for you too, kids. It's to do this. It's to let your little light shine. Right? It's interesting. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Here's, here's what that means. He goes on to say, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house, it says. Meaning this, when we embrace Jesus, the light of the world, we become lights in the world. Now, I, I truly wish that we could have our sanctuary filled a few times over and across our campuses, celebrate Christmas Eve together. I, I, I wish we could do that. But there's something significant about this Matthew 5 verse. That you are the light of the world and that you're to let your light shine and that it gives light to everyone in the house. And you're in your home right now and scattered across the eastern Fraser Valley are all of us in our homes 
who reflect the light of Jesus, who came for us at Christmas, we reflect it in a dark world. My invitation to you this Christmas is embrace Jesus, the light of the world, and to let your little light shine in a dark world that they may see Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for anyone who has never put their trust in you and ask that they would turn to you and that you would shine your light into their darkness. I thank you, God, that no matter what 2021 brings, your light has dawned on us and, we can, and it, it, it can never be extinguished. Finally, Lord, I ask that the light of the world would be on display through us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And Merry Christmas.